Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our weekly Penguins chat. Andrew Destin here with Matt Vensel, talking all things Penguins. After first three games of the regular season, the Penguins, of course, going to and when over that stretch. Um, A lot to get into here regarding the top six, bottom six, special teams, goaltending, all that sort of stuff. But before we get into any of that, um, we want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by the North Shore Tavern. Um, Be sure to check that out. Um, If you are so inclined near PNC Park, um, place to go for steak on a stone. Um, Matt, uh, transitioning it now to the top six is one topic that I wanted to get into first here. Um, but the scoring with the Penguins, that's been something that's really been huge for them, has been that top six, uh, kind of carrying the load. I know going into the offseason, some fans were concerned about getting more balance with the scoring. That hasn't quite been the case, but the top six has been faring pretty well. Is that something Penguins fans should be worried about with um, the top with Sid's line and Gino's line still kind of carrying play? Or is that just something to kind of expect from this group as we move forward with the season? I mean, I think this is how the team is built. I mean that's a top heavy lineup. They loaded up adding Carlson. You've definitely seen the impact that's had on the top two lines, just having Carlson or Latang on the ice with the Crosby line or the Malkin line power play uh, was excellent in really actually the power play probably looked its best in the last game, even though they went over three against Calgary, but they scored two big goals in Washington and the bottom six isn't scoring, but they're not giving up goals in it. So I, I think this is kind of like the recipe for success for the Penguins. I mean, they're going to be super reliant on the top two lines to score goals. That's just how they're constructed. And if the bottom six isn't giving up goals, I, I think it's not a problem at all. I mean, it's just kind of the way that this team is built to win games. Yeah. And when you look at that bottom six, I know you wrote about this a little bit for the Monday story, but that fourth line in particular, um, where you got Carter, Achari, and Nieto, um, there's a lot of different factors that maybe go into why this has been such a, you know, to use Mike Sullivan's word, a tough line to play against or why they've been so strong defensively. I know you wrote about this a little bit, but just to give a little glimpse, I mean, what are you looking at with that fourth line that's made them, I don't know if impactful is the right word, but, you know, consistent, reliable, whatever you want to use, like what what is making that line effective, I guess, uh, maybe not offensively, but in general so far here early on? Well, it's a line that makes a lot of sense on paper. I mean, I think we should start by saying that the Penguins really haven't had a fourth line that had a clear identity that impacted games in a positive manner since the line of Bluger, Tanev, and Zach Aston Reese a few years back. I mean, not that they were the the top checking line in the league, but they were pretty good. They frustrated opponents. They played well defensively. They got in on the four check and kind of just you know, milled around in the offensive zone and and killed time, and they were an effective line. So the Penguins are going for something similar here. 
Um, you know, Noel Achari is, is in the mix now as the fourth line center. He's a tough minded guy, um, hits, we've seen him block shots, you know, they've moved Carter to the right wing. I, I think that's the right move for a lot of different reasons. I mean, if he's going to be on the team and, and obviously they feel he's on the team, he should be on the team. And with his contract, they kind of have no choice, but to have him on the team, moving him to the wing makes a ton of sense. He just was a liability down low in the defensive zone. I mean, he was a very good defensive player in his prime. He's not in his prime anymore. He's 38, turns 39, I believe, on uh, New Year's Day. So, you know, Sullivan said as much, you know, by moving him away from center and putting him on the wing, it kind of wing, it takes some of the defensive burden off of him. And now he's able to use his big frame. You know, the Pens love to just rim the puck around the boards, have that quick little deflection pass into the space and go the other way in transition. And, you know, Sullivan said by having – you know, Carter there, he's able to use his, his big body to shield off defensemen and help the Penguins get out of the zone on the breakout. And then your boy, uh, <laughs> Matt Nieto over in the other wing, um, you know, speedy guy, feisty. I mean, he's got to be impactful in the forecheck to, to stay in the lineup where they, they might go in a different direction there. But, you know, he's a guy, if he can get in there and just do some of the things that Brandon Tanev did, I mean, nobody's going to replicate his energy and, uh, you know, some of the things he brought to the table, but he, he's a similar type player. So put it all together. It's a line that makes sense. The results have been all right. They've been outshot a ton. Um, but Sullivan downplayed that and basically said, look, like they're, they're keeping opponents onto the perimeter. We're not really worried we're out there, even if they're stuck in the defensive zone and the numbers bear that out. Per natural stat trick, they've only given up two high danger scoring chances in three games. So even though they've been drastically outshot, um, they're not allowing a lot of great looks. And, you know, for your fourth line, when you get so much scoring from your your top six, I think that makes sense for what the Penguins are looking for from that trio. A lot of reasons that it feels like that fourth line, it's early, obviously, but it feels like it's, you know, in a better spot than maybe it was last season, just given the way that it's composed. And like you said, kind of forcing the opponent to stay out on the perimeter for the, some of those shots. But um, to bring it back to the other half of the bottom six, the third line, um, this is one that, you know, certainly still some moving parts because you got Jensen Harkins, who's still finger, figuring it out here with Pittsburgh. O'Connor, that was a spot that he was at the third line a lot last year, and Lars Eller acquired over the offseason. But um, that's one that maybe um, the advanced stats will, you know, that's one you can delve into a little bit too um, to see how that group is doing. But um, in terms of the on-ice production, Eller's the only guy who's got a point of the three so far through three games. Um, but defensively, it seems like they've similarly been decent in that regard. What are you kind of seeing um, from the third line so far here? Yeah, it's kind of the same. I mean, Lars Eller has taken a penalty in every single game so far. Um, not that he has a reputation being a guy who takes a ton of penalties, but but obviously that'd be a good start for them um, to stay out of the box. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, that that line, I, I think, of, of all the lines in the team is the one that has the potential to be shuffled and, and maybe we see guys come up from the minor leagues to fill it in. I mean, you look at this depth chart going into camp and you're like, okay, feel really good about the top two lines. If everyone stays healthy, it looks like they should have the pieces to have a pretty decent fourth line. It's just that third line. And, you know, I do think Eller, um, you know, was, was a solid get given the budget the Pens had to work with. So, you know, it's just a question of who's going to emerge on his wings. You know, I think Drew O'Connor had a really good camp look good we haven't really seen that translate yet offensively in the first three games of the regular season we'll see about Harkins um kind of a low event player um so yeah I mean you, you, there are going to be games where the top six is going to get shut down and you know you have to hope that 
somebody emerges, maybe it just ends up being the power play. But yeah, I think the third line is, is the the big question mark right now on this team. It's just who's going to step in there? Can somebody score? And, you know, are they going to be a liability this year or is it going to be something too where they're able to most nights at least tread water, um, you know, like we've seen from the fourth line? Right. And it's one that certainly, I mean, you mentioned some guys who could maybe get called up there. It's like with Harkins, this is somebody who they're still getting familiar with as more time goes on. Maybe that's somebody that they move off of to call somebody up from the AHL, but um, certainly one to keep monitoring. Um, wanted to ask you now, um, we'll get into special teams here, I'm sure, in a little bit, but um, about the net mining so far. Um, this is certainly something that was a big topic going into the summer was what the Penguins were going to do. Um, kept Tristan Jari, of course, but also added Alex Nedeljkovic. Um, it's only two, three games, two for Jari, one for Nedeljkovic. But um, how do you feel about where these two are at with Jari? Obviously, there was the injury concerns going into the season. And with Nedeljkovic, we didn't really know which version of him we were going to get, given how well he played in Carolina with a more stringent defense and um, the performance took a nosedive in Detroit with a more lackluster defensive effort on that team as a whole. So um, what are you kind of seeing from these two? And I mean, I guess it's the two that they're going to roll with probably here moving forward. But how do you feel about the Penguins net mining situation um, from the outside looking in here? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, I mean, Jari's been okay so far. First game, um, you know, he made some tough saves. Didn't always look pretty or under control. Um, you know, maybe it was a, a case where some of the Blackhawks players were hitting him with the puck, but he still made the saves up until the third period and obviously couldn't come up with the saves they needed. That's, you know, that was deja vu for fans looking back on Jari last year. Um, he was better, sharper, more in control in D.C. He wasn't tested a ton. Um, you know, the, the big save he made when was when the Pens were already up 3-0 and Ovechkin got a breakaway and he, he shut him down there. So... You know, not a ton of sample size to work off of, but, um, you know, the numbers are, are pretty good for him. And then as far as Ndelkovic goes, yeah, I think it's very encouraging. I mean, the Pens might lose that game if he doesn't play so well in the first two periods and allow them to explode for five goals in the third period. And, you know, if if Casey DeSmith was still the backup goalie and was in that game, I, you know, I don't know if they win it, although I, I guess I should say Casey did have a, a pretty good first game up in Vancouver over the weekend as well. So maybe a change of scenery would be good for him. But, yeah, I mean, I think the goaltending has been, you know, okay, maybe better than average. And I, I think that's all the Penguins need. I mean, again, we're, we're you know, you look at the team at a high level and, you know, through three games, I, I think this has kind of gone as the Penguins – planned here with the top six carrying them and um, the other parts of the team not letting them down. Right. And on that note, kind of transitioning it now to the special teams topic. And that's certainly an area that, you know, you alluded to it earlier when talking about the Carlson discussion, how that's a unit that's kind of been revamped. Um, looking at the stats just from a basic level here, after three games, uh, the power play tw 12th in the league at a 25% clip. You mentioned how successful in DC, but also looked really solid um, against Calgary. Um, what do you think has been the reason that that unit started to, I don't know if click more is the better way of describing it, because, I mean, it's the preseason, can't really 
garner too much from those results. But it seems like the group as a whole is uh, gelling maybe a little bit more um, with Latang now quarterback in the second unit and Carlson on the first. What do you think is the reason that that squad is maybe or those units are coming together maybe better here uh, as of late? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of factors here. I mean, look, the Carlson Latang thing was an awkward fit, and that doesn't mean it can't be revisited, and it doesn't mean it won't work out down the road. But, um, you know, understandably, there were growing pains um, and, you know, some some real rough stretches during training camp for the power play. I mean, the players have admitted it. Um, but it wasn't just the Latang Carlson dynamic. The Penguins have integrated a lot of the you know, positional interchangeability that we saw in Todd Reardon's first year back with the Penguins a few years back when they finished top five in the power play. You know, you, you guys remember the Pens moving around. We would see Sid down in his usual spot off the post, and then he would be up high. We'd see Malkin move around. And the Pens had a lot of success that one year just by moving guys around, moving the puck, and, and keeping, um, you know, the penalty kill off kilter. Um, they got away from it. They got back to being stagnant, standing around. So, you know, this year with Carlson coming in the mix, they really want the pens to to get back to having the players move around. So, you know, Sullivan was talking about that the other day saying, yeah, it just kind of took some time. We were moving, but we just weren't necessarily moving with a purpose or, um, you know, like a clear direction. And now they're starting to kind of figure out how to, you know, bob and weave and, and, and move around together. I, I think, you know, getting Jake on the top unit in place of, you know, um, Chris Letang has, has kind of slotted everyone back in a more natural starting position. And then you just look at, at these games here. The last two games, the Pens have been very good on entries. You know, that was a problem last year, just getting into the zone and getting set up so they could even, you know, run plays. They had a hard time doing that. It's been a lot cleaner with Carlson kind of leading them up the ice. And then in the zone, they're, they're moving. Um, they're being decisive. You're not exactly a shooting first mentality, but it's been better. So, you know, I just think they're out there kind of moving quicker and, uh, you know, kind of attacking a little bit more when they see opportunities. And all it takes is one pass to, to kind of, you know, a seam pass through the defense to get the penalty kill kind of scrambling. And then the pens just kind of their instincts kick in and they make plays. I mean, the two goals they got in D.C., they weren't really pretty, the actual like finishing on the goals, but everything led up to it looked good. And it was because they just were moving around and, you know, they, they once they saw an opening, they pounced. That movement you're alluding to there um, with with the introduction of Carlson, this might be self-explanatory or obvious, but um, is that just a byproduct of they felt now with him in the fold that that's something they could do? Is this something that because you mentioned how this was something that was earlier on in Reardon's tenure when he was operating power play, how movement was a bigger factor to them at their earlier success here with the Penguins a few years back. But is that a factor you think or a byproduct of them bringing in Carlson or is this something that was overdue for them to get back to and they would have done even if it was still Latang quarterback in that top power play? Yeah, I mean, I think it all ties together, but this is certainly a case of them saying, okay, like we're bringing in Eric Carlson. We need to, you know, do the most to take advantage of that. I mean, I still think they needed to get um, – more movement and just add new wrinkles um, regardless of whether or not they brought him in. But yeah, I think it makes total sense when you get a guy like Carlson and, and you'll see him, you know, in the bumper spot down low, um, you know, e even when he was the point man, I, I remember a play in the last couple of games where he basically was like standing between the hash marks and he was the last guy back. Now you worry, you worry about, you worry about shorties that way, but still, I mean, you just see the, the kind of the impact, um, 
and the way he just kind of bends the defense just with his presence there. So I, I think it does make sense for them just to kind of lean fully into it. And it's looked really good the past two games. And you know, easily in that, that Calgary game, um, they went over three, like we said, but they very easily could have went, you know, three for three. I mean, they had some great looks on Markstrom and they hit a couple of posts. Yeah, Carlson with one. I think Gensel with the other, if I'm remembering correctly there. Gino. Gino, Gino. that's that's what it was. Okay. Um, but uh, so the power play, you know, we discussed that a lot at large. The other half of the special teams, of course, um, the penalty kill, you talked about it, a 90, 90% kill rate so far. It's way too early to draw too many conclusions about a figure like that. But, you know, the only teams ahead of them have been perfect so far. Um, it's no secret, you know, from January 1st onward last year that that was really a unit that struggled for the Penguins. Um, we've talked about a lot of these guys already who are key factors in the penalty kill, whether that's an Eller or an Achari or guys like that. Um, given the composition of who they're putting out there, who Sullivan and Co is turning to on the PK, um, do you feel like this is a group right now that is positioned better um, than last year? And if so, what is the ceiling of this group? And I ask just given that, you know, these aren't the fastest guys, the youngest guys, things like that, that certainly can be factors on a penalty kill. Yeah. I mean, I like the personnel. I mean, through three games, yeah, they're nine for 10, but a lot of that is goaltending, at least in the, the first game, um, you know, when they went four for four against Chicago. So there, there certainly has some, some things to work out, which is expected when you're integrating new players on the PK, like you have to do pretty much every year, but I like the personnel. Um, you know, one thing about adding Carlson uh, means that we're seeing Chris Latang get back to being a regular on the PK. And, you know, yeah, there's times where he gets out of position or gets beat at the net front, but he helps the PK. So getting him back in the mix is good. It's been interesting to see Riley Smith get mixed in. You know, they haven't been a team that attacks shorthanded and, and has had a lot of shorthanded goals, but, you know, you see him and Rust um, sometimes out there together. That's exciting to think about you know, the pressure they can put on shorthanded that maybe makes the power plays think twice. So, um, yeah, Chari's a good killer and Nieto's getting mixed in. So the pieces are there for them to have a pretty good PK as long as they get the goaltending, which they have had, and the players just kind of get in sync. You know, Mike Felucci, the assistant coach who runs the PK, um, you know, he likes uh, a lot of pressure, particularly up the ice, to try to make it hard for the power play to even get into the zone cleanly. So, it, it, it kind of takes some time for new players to to learn the system. And then it takes time for everyone to kind of get used to reading off each other. So, so far, so good. I know in the past we've seen the Pens get off to some some really poor starts on the PK. So it is encouraging that even though they haven't been perfect, um, the results have been good so far through three games. Yeah, certainly a lot of new faces there. And guys have mentioned that of how it's still taking an adjustment process and things of that nature. But having some of those stalwarts back there, like Latang back on it, Pred Chad Ruedel, yeah, the stalwart of stalwarts. <laughs> yeah. Literally, that's like when you go when you search it up on a dictionary, it says, "Did you mean Chad Ruedel?" Um, that's right. But uh, having those guys back there, do you think that helps at all with the adjustment process? Because um, I think aside from Ryan Graves, everybody has experience on that PK who's a defenseman, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, we saw Pedersen get integrated more last year. He was someone who wasn't really utilized much at all in the PK before last season. But, you know, he's a pretty good player. Obviously, he's he's smart, good reach. Um, you know, ditto for Ryan Graves, who's a, a, a solid penalty killer. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the familiarity in the back end helps. Um, and it's just kind of getting everyone on the same page because they all have to work in unison, all four players. Right. 
Now, uh, looking ahead, got a couple of games coming up this week. Uh, first true road trip, I guess you could say, for the Penguins, but they will um, be coming back in between those games for some practices back in Cranberry. But um, Red Wings on Wednesday, Blues Saturday. Um, what are you kind of looking at from these games? And I'll, I'll be out in St. Louis and Detroit for those games, but um, just wanted to get your kind of reactions on these two squads. What are you looking for the Penguins from a road trip that – I don't want to say could tell you what this team really is because last year we saw how that can come back to bite any of us. Um, but, you know, somewhat of a test given two teams playing decently here in Detroit and St. Louis. What are you looking for uh, from the Pens in this road trip? Is it really a road trip, though? They're coming back to practice. I mean, technically it's two road games in a row, and maybe you're going to be out gallivanting around the Midwest uh, between these games while I'm covering practice. But anyways, I digress. Yeah, I mean, Detroit um, – you know, they're, they're kind of in that bucket in the Atlantic division with Ottawa and Buffalo for these kind of young teams that have been out of the playoffs that are, are looking to break through and get in the playoffs. I mean, Debrinket's been really effective for them. Um, they have some really exciting young players. So, yeah, I mean, that, that'll that be a fun game to watch. Personally, have you been to Little Caesars Arena? This I is have. Inside. Yeah. My favorite road arena probably. It's a, it's a great venue. Um, so look forward to that for you. Um, good pregame meal as well. Oh, uh, hockey. We're talking about <laughs> hockey here. Um, yeah, and then St. Louis, we got the Casperi Kapanen revenge game. Um, you know, we'll see about the Blues. I mean, this is a, a team that's definitely gone through a transition in the last few years after winning the Cup. Um, I know Jordan Bennington's played well, um, that lunatic. Um, we'll see if it holds. Unfortunately, Jason Zucker's gone. We remember the the great drama between Bennington and Zucker last year. Um yeah, so a couple of decent early season tests for the Penguins. I know they, they historically fare pretty well against the West, uh, at least as long as I've been covering the team. So, um, you know, we'll see how it fares out, and they got a bunch of games at home after that. Yeah, the, uh, the Zucker-Bennington drama, that was like right before I started up on the beat. And I remember thinking, whoa, this is, a, this is a fun time to join the squad in Pittsburgh and start reporting on this. This will be fun. <laughs> yeah, I, what were you – just briefly before we call it, called a pod here, what do you remember about – um, that interaction. And you, you, uh, I just asked because you bring up the Bennington story again. <laughs> well, it just was fun. Well, like Bennington's like a total nut. And every year he's like, oh, like the coaches and he are like, oh, he's going to rein it in this year. He's going to be more control. And he's not just because he's a complete hothead. So it just was fun. I mean, I don't have a rooting interest in the game, but like pure just watching from the press box is like Bennington's running his mouth and then like gets pulled and you know, the fans just letting him hear it. It just was was great drama. And then, you know, as he's getting yanked, you have Zucker on the bench making like this. Our, our uh, podcast listeners aren't going to see the face I'm making, but, but Zucker was like this. Like, it just was, <laughs> it was great. So, like, anytime a goalie runs his mouth like that and tries to get into, like, fisticuffs of players and then just gets the hook because he got lit up, uh, it's always amusing to me. Well, amusing as will be the Great Inser Tailgate, which is bringing the best of the Berg to South Point on November 4th, showcasing Pittsburgh's rich culture, iconic sports history, and vibrant community spirit. The Great Inser Tailgate will immerse you in the unique blend of traditions that make Pittsburgh legendary. Visit www.thegreatinsertailgate.com for details. Uh, I don't think I'm saying this right. See Yins there. That's not organic to me. Um, but just wanted to throw that in there before. We called it a pod here. Um, Matt, thanks so much for the time, as always. I'm sure I'll see you around here soon. In the meantime, keep up with the rest of our podcasts here on the YouTube channel and however you may be listening to Post-Gazette Sports podcasts. 
and we will catch you all again next time. Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette.